Welcome to the Fitness FAQs podcast, where we use calisthenics to become strong like a gymnast, look like a bodybuilder, and gain mobility to move freely. What's good, everyone? Daniel Vadnall here for Fitness FAQs, and I'm joined by Simon Atta, aka Simonster, Simonster Strength. I've known Simon since 2017. He is very well versed in all things physical, so he's got over 20 years worth of experience in breakdancing, power moves, and also calisthenics. He is a father, a qualified physiotherapist, and he is making a living off doing this stuff. So he's traveled the world doing performances. He has lived in America, in Las Vegas, doing performances for sold out crowds, and has also toured the world internationally and nationally in Australia, teaching workshops and seminars. This conversation is going to be packed full of value. It's going to be about all things planche. And you should really be listening to this one because Simon's someone who I respect because he practices what he preaches, but he also has the knowledge to back it up. So you're going to leave this conversation inspired, motivated, and hopefully learning a thing or two. So Simon, welcome. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm excited to have you in the new space. You're the first podcast guest. Thanks. It's an honor. Yeah, man. So you just came back from Sydney, yeah? What were you doing? Up yeah, there? I was doing some work with um with Base Blocks, the home gym company. So doing some tutorials and some promo for some new products of theirs. Nice. Was it refreshing to not be teaching and doing all the other hectic stuff that you usually have to do? Yeah, it's it's been um it's been a good a good break the past year. Um, but I'm looking forward for all this pandemic stuff to end so we can get back to our normal lives. Of course. Um, before off air, we are just talking about you are dealing with a bit of an injury at the moment. How are you juggling the, I guess, content creation and being a leader with, I guess, being a bit handicapped with what you can usually do? Yeah, I think injuries are inevitable. So the highest level athletes in every sport um, usually encounter some form of injury in their career. Um, it's just making the most of that. So finding the things that don't provoke the injury or make the injury worse. There's often other things that you can train and it's a good opportunity to work on weaknesses and things you wouldn't normally work on um, with an able body. So, Which in your case, what has that been? Because you're known for, which we'll get into, the planche. What have you been doing that hasn't been giving you any issues with your injury? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of content creation, so a lot of tutorials, which has been, which has been good. Um, and I've been doing a lot of um, pulling training. So things like front lever, uh, don't provoke my injury so I can train front lever holds and front lever raises front lever pull-ups so yeah time to work on something work on my weaknesses are we going to see some one-arm pull-ups and one-arm chin-ups from you soon well, maybe <laughs> <laughs> now that your biceps are getting a rest from planche yeah <laughs> so as I said we could talk about a ton of things today but I really want to keep it uh, specific to the planche so for those that are new to calisthenics or just don't know, could you give like a brief introduction of what the planche is? Yeah. So the planche is supporting the body on the hands with straight arms in a horizontal chest down position. So the best way to visualize this to people who don't know what the planche is, um, the way I usually like to explain it is think of a push-up position with your feet just hovering above the ground. Okay. Yeah. And um, for the people that see a move like that, they probably look at it on the surface and they think this looks impossible. Um, what's the best way for people to start in terms of the basic progressions or what's like the, the starting point to build up towards doing that? Yeah, so like most high level activities, there's always a way to regress it and it depends how far you want to regress it. 
So a tuck planche is probably accessible to quite strong individuals who have a very good foundation. So people who can do a lot of push-ups have done some sort of basic bodyweight training, things like L-sits, they may be able to do a tuck planche on the floor. But I would say more commonly, um, especially for people who don't have a foundation in calisthenics, a tuck planche isn't accessible. Um, and you can regress that further by doing things like a planche lean or a pseudo planche, it's sometimes referred to. Mm -hmm. So what that is, is starting in a push-up position and just leaning your shoulders in front of your hands. And what's that, what that's gonna do is force you to um, flex your shoulders isometrically to stop you from falling on your face, yep. which simulates the, the action used in a planche. And the further you lean, the harder it gets. So that's a great way to progress towards the tuck planche or build shoulder strength towards that. You can also work on the constituent muscles that are used in the tuck planche. So tuck planche requires not only shoulder flexion, not only shoulder flexion force, but some scapular depression and some scapular protraction to lift the body as high as possible. So you can work on those with things like scapular dips or scapular push-ups. Tuck planche also requires pretty good compression from the abs and hip flexors. So you can do things like tuck sit lifts, hanging leg lifts, L sits, they'll all help build that strength. So combining um, pseudo planche leans with training the constituent parts and doing things like elevated um, tuck planche holds provides the best path to unlocking the tuck planche. So what I mean by elevated tuck planche holds is if you try to do a tuck planche on the floor and you can't lift your feet off the ground, very common, what you can do is lift your hands or raise your hands a certain level to make that movement accessible. So you might put a yoga block under each hand. With that, you might be able to just get your feet and your knees off the ground and hold that for 15 seconds. As you get stronger, reduce the height to say a couple of phone books until you can do the movement on the floor. So even this makes the movement accessible to anybody who can hold the top position of a dip. You can elevate the hands as high as you want um, to enable you to, to hold a tuck planche at some level. Right, that's yeah. a really comprehensive answer. That's probably worth a few hundred dollars at a workshop <laughs> or seminar, so. Yeah. To, to go one step further with that, um, so the way I like to explain the planche, so let's, let's just go Let's just go back to planche 101. Sure, go for it. So with, um, with weight training, you progress the difficulty by increasing weight. So if you think of a squat or a bench press, it's accessible to just about everybody. You can do the bar. If you can do the bar with ease, you add some weight. And as you get stronger, so let's say you do 50 kilos for 10 reps. Once you can do that for 12 with ease, you might stack some more weight on and repeat that process as you get stronger and stronger. With the planche, you're not changing the amount of weight you lift. You're, you're always lifting your body weight, but you're increasing the intensity by manipulating a lever arm or manipulating torque. So a good analogy for this is if you think about holding a stick with a weight on it and putting the weight right at your hand, that will be fairly easy to hold. As you move the weight further and further down the stick away from your hand, the torque increases, although the weight hasn't increased, and it's harder to hold that stick horizontal. And even with one or two kilos or a couple of pounds for those in the USA, if you move that stick far enough down the, the lever arm, it's gonna be impossible to, to hold. So the planche has the same, um, uses the same principles as that to increase the intensity. So you start with tuck positions once they're accessible, and then you progress through longer lever arms until you reach the full planche. Um, now with that being said as well, <laughs> uh, 
a planche is also going to depend on the position of the body. So if you think about holding a sledgehammer or that same stick vertically, it's pretty easy. There's no real torque there. The weight is going directly through your hand. But if you start to turn at 10 degrees, it's a little bit harder. You turn at 90 degrees, it's much harder. So the same thing is true with a, with a tuck planche. So you can hold a dip position. There's no real torque there. The weight is straight up and down. As you move towards a horizontal position, it becomes harder and harder. And a tuck planche on the floor, so just being able to get your feet off the ground, isn't actually a 90 degree position. If you look at a tuck planche, the first level of a tuck planche, feet just off the ground, you know, an inch off the ground, your, your body's gonna be angled, your hips will be below your shoulders. So that's gonna be easier than holding it horizontal. So there's, there's different levels of a tuck planche. A tuck planche isn't binary, you're either doing it or you're not. You can scale that to any level. So a good way to scale it, as I spoke about previously, was elevating the hands. That's gonna scale you until you can do, scale the exercise until you can do the tuck planche on the floor. But then to keep it objective, to be able to monitor it, measure it, and manipulate it as you work towards the horizontal tuck planche where your hips and shoulders are level, you can put something under your knees. So let's say you put it, now you put a yoga block under your knees. You have to now hold the tuck planche with your legs just above the yoga block. They're not allowed to touch it. So this increases the intensity because it's moving you closer to 90 degrees. Then once you can hold the tuck planche with the hips and shoulders level, then you can start working through longer lever arms, advanced tuck, straddle, full. That's a really interesting observation. I've actually never heard anyone break it down like that because I think most people that have a base understanding of calisthenics think it's just basically the leverage changes over time from tuck all the way to full. But as you've explained very well, it's even going from that, I guess, baby tuck where you're just developing a base capacity to more of an authentic tuck with the hips a bit higher. It's the same exercise, but it's not really as you've, as you've just explained. Yeah. So the, the intensity between the change in intensity between a tuck with your legs just off the ground and the tuck with your hips and shoulders level is pretty drastic. So if you want to see the difference, try this out at home. Hold a tuck on the, on the ground if you can for as long as you can. Then stack up some yoga blocks so your legs um, are just above it at a level which forces you to keep the hips and shoulders level. Hold the planche as long as you can and you'll see a, a disparity in And even, even moving forward with like an advanced tuck planche, there's, there's levels to that too, right? Because you can have one that's relatively flat but still a bit flexed through the lumbar and you can have one which is monster style, which is nice and flat, perfect form. Even those would be quite drastic difference between the two. Yeah. That was a really good summary of planche. Um, what I wanted to get across is people probably understand now there's a difference between calisthenics and weight training with the difference in how you increase intensity via leverage manipulation compared to adding weight to the exercise. What muscles specifically or muscle groups are used with the planche exercise? Because people see it and they think, oh, it's full body exercise, but could you break it down a little bit more as, I guess, a physiotherapist to give people the key areas that are trained? So the primary muscles working in the planche are the shoulder flexors. Your shoulders need to be able to generate enough force to keep your body off the ground, stop your shoulders from extending and moving back towards that dip position. So the muscles that are working there are your anterior deltoid, your clavicular head of your pecs, the long head of your biceps. So a lot of people um, without a, without a um, 
education in anatomy might not know, but your long head of biceps crosses your shoulder joint and works as a shoulder flexor, especially in supinated positions. And everyone listening, that is the secret behind Cy Monster's uh, incredible <laughs> biceps. It's not from his uh, pulling prowess, it's from the, those planche gains. <laughs> um, so those are the key muscles. Those are what I would argue are the most important muscles in the planche. Moving down the chain, in the full planche, we need to be able to keep our body extended. And the way we do that in this chest down horizontal position is with our back, with our posterior chain muscles. So with our back extensors, our hip extensors, so our rectus spinae muscles, our glutes. Awesome. And um, regardless of technique, progression, what would you say is the universal form um, that people should be applying for planche-related exercise, whether it's a um, pseudo-planche lean or the planche progressions themselves? Yep, so to, to go through systematically, um, I like to turn my hands to the side. So hands shoulder width apart. I like to turn my hands to the side to allow you to lean forward without putting stress on your wrists. So if your fingers are facing forward, you're going to jam up the back of your wrists. It'll be um, quite painful. You can get an injury, especially with the amount of volume you have to do to achieve the planche. So turning the hands to the side, alternatively, you can use parallettes. Okay. Um, elbow creases facing forward. So externally rotate the shoulder to make your elbow creases point forward you want to be protracting or pushing tall through the shoulder blades. So you want to lift your body as high as you can off the floor. When I say protracting, I mean through the shoulder blades and not the spine. So a lot of, a lot of times you see um, planche, you might see people have this kind of hunchback posture. I, I would rather keep a perfectly straight spine and just isolate that to the shoulder blades. What's your reasoning behind that? Is it to do with how the muscles produce force? No, it's it... just, it's purely aesthetic. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> you look would... like an angry cat doing that, right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah. I think in a, in a planche, you want the body to be in a straight line. If you prefer the aesthetic of this hunchback posture, you can certainly do that. But I, I'd like the posture of a push-up position with your feet levitating and you're in a nice, perfect horizontal line. Yep, each to their own, but I trust your form as a, <laughs> a professional at the planche. Yep. Um, and then moving down the chain, you want to have basically a straight body from your shoulders to your toes, head in a neutral position or looking forward. One thing that gets spoken about a lot is um, a posterior pelvic tilt. So they say, you know, this person doesn't have a posterior pelvic tilt, it's not perfect form. If you look at any of the top guys doing planche, you'll see very rarely do they have a perfectly flat lower back. So I like to have the intention of a posterior pelvic tilt, but set the standard of a neutral lumbar spine, no more arch than you have it at neutral. If you try a reverse hyper exercise, extending your hips against gravity, it's very difficult to do that and achieve a straight line posture with a perfectly flat lower back. So I like to say, have the intention of a flat lower back, but allow, um, but just understand that that often can't be achieved and you might have a mild curvature that's a great observation that you've you've mentioned because i think this is the classic thing where a culture let's say the calisthenics culture promotes something like you need to do this this and that posterior pelvic tilt just because it's been said so people just keep regurgitating because it's been said over time but your explanation was perfect like practically try and do that by taking the planche out of it with a position relative to gravity and try and do that posterior pelvic tilt while you extend like you said it's just going to be very difficult yeah it's not to say it's impossible so some people can achieve it there's variation in the degree of curvature in people's spines how big their gluteal muscles are have the intention but just understand it might not be achievable for you 
thing. Yeah. So when it comes to the planche, is it the same sort of thing with the protraction element? Because I see some people doing the planche, myself included. It looks like we're not in full protraction. Is that something that you have to be in or how no, does that you, work, Simon? You, you can train planche with suboptimal protraction. You don't need to have perfect form. So if you think about something like the handstand, often I like to treat um, alignment and balance as separate entities. You're not going to see somebody learn to balance on their hands with perfect form from the start. Often it's, you know, you don't see people learn any skill like this. So you, you watch a, a kid throw a ball, um, it's quite inefficient. As they practice, they become more proficient at that. Their technique becomes refined. The same thing with the planche. So have the intention of protraction, um, but it doesn't need to be perfect. So if you if you start losing some protraction as you fatigue, that's okay. As long as it's not dangerous, um, you're not a, you're not really at risk of an injury. A planche is a very safe um, very safe skill to train. Is there any uh, technique weaknesses that you say are a, a no go in terms of if someone's bending the elbows or their lower back does arch is, is that a sign that that's blanket incorrect form What's yeah it's, it it's difficult to say it's it's like how much um how much leeway do you give at what point um at what point do you say you should change it and that's when a coach can be really useful i usually like to set some standards like flat flat lower or flat spine um, have the intention of protraction you might call it when you fall beyond neutral or you can't hold protraction at all and keep the elbows straight. Okay. Based on seeing a lot of people doing planche, you've seen many people do it. When people see the planche, they'll often think this exercise must demand a lot of core strength. Is is that true, Simon? Yeah, Let's bust the myth right now. <laughs> you, you, you'll hear that with just about any exercise. You can watch two guys arm wrestle and someone will make a comment about core strength. <laughs> um, so <laughs> yes, there is there is an element of core involved. When I say core... I don't mean the abs. I don't mean the six-pack muscle. Um, it's it's the opposite of that. So we're talking about your posterior core, your erector spinae, your lower back, and you need to have some lumbo-pelvic control to maintain a posterior pelvic tilt as much as you can while extending the hips against gravity. So without any core strength, yes, your hips and your back will flex, um, and you won't be able to hold that horizontal posture, but it's usually not the limiting element in the planche. More often you'll see um, shoulder flexion, being the limiting the limiting factor rather than core so okay so based on you saying that if i was listening to this i would say i'd just be working my planche planche accessories and planche progressions but if you had to give someone a core exercise for planche what would it be in different cases based on the weaknesses that you know happen with planche yeah the, my my go-to core exercise for the planche as well as for the back lever is the reverse hyper so this, this requires you to extend your hips against gravity, which mimics the planche. You just don't have that demand on the shoulders. Um, so is core an issue for you? If you can't re reverse hyper, it probably is an issue for you. Um, Can you explain what a reverse hyper is? Because it's, it's popular in powerlifting, bodybuilding, but in calisthenics, maybe not so much. Yeah, absolutely. So a reverse hyper is um, leaning over a bench or table. So your, your chest is supported on a bench or table. And then you're going to extend your hips against gravity to 90 degrees and hold that horizontal position. So this is referred to in powerlifting a lot as the name is the reverse hyper, which is short for hyperextension. When it comes to calisthenics, um, <laughs> that name can be a little bit misleading because we often don't want to hyperextend the hips and the back. If you think about the posture we want to achieve in the planche, it's a perfectly straight line. We want to get our hips to horizontal 
um, rather than hyperextend them. So what I often tell people who are doing this for the purpose of calisthenics is extend the hips to a perfectly horizontal line. So until your body achieves a horizontal line and try to isolate that movement to the hip joint rather than moving from the lower back. So try to maintain a posterior pelvic tilt while you extend your hips to achieve a perfectly straight line. Um, and a lot of people will find this exercise easy, um, especially if you're doing it mindlessly. But if you're worrying about motor control, it's actually extremely challenging. So I often say extend the hips, hold for two to three seconds, trying to maintain that posterior pelvic tilt. And this exercise is, a much, is as much about developing motor control as it is about building strength in the posterior chain. So it's about having a certain set and rep range that you're going for, but really being mindful of the, the form and execution, getting it horizontal because you want to replicate what you're doing. Exactly. In a you want to, yeah, yeah. You want this to be functional, another buzzword for the fitness industry. Simon, for those that are just listening, Simon is uh, doing the double finger quote, <laughs> <laughs> just to make that 100% clear. Um, so yeah, good. We spoke about the planche progressions and order also the pseudo planche lean. What would you recommend? Is it one is better than the other? Because I've heard some people say you only need to do the planche progressions, tuck, advanced, all the way to full. Or some people recommend because the planche is about getting your uh, hands underneath your center of mass, just doing your pseudo planche leans is going to be a good way to progress. What's your thoughts? One, the other, both? Yeah, a lot of people like to, to make this kind of <laughs> dichotomy. Simple. Yeah, it's like, I of, like this. Or yeah, that. It's, yeah, it's this or that. The great thing about calisthenics is you can utilize both. And I would argue that um, with a lot of confidence, <laughs> I would put money on it, that doing both is going to be better than just doing one or the other. So there are some limitations with the planche lean. If you lean forward in the planche um, or in the pseudo planche, pseudo planche lean, front sport lean, whatever you want to call it, at a certain degree of lean, that's gonna be harder than a straddle planche. So leaning forward one inch might feel very easy. Leaning forward you know, 10 inches might be as hard as your, your straddle planche. Um, so you could argue, yeah, you could get the planche just by doing the planche lean and increasing the intensity over time. But the limitation with that is you're not gonna actually address the balance component of the planche. You need to be able to balance your center of mass over your base of support, which is a skill in itself. Now, with the, um, with the tuck planche and those sort of progressions, that can, be, that can have some challenges as well. So one issue there is that to have reliable shapes, so it's very easy to measure the intensity of a planche lean. I'm leaning one, one inch forward, two inches forward, three inches forward, different ways to measure this. Dan really likes the, um, the method of leaning the head into the wall and measuring the distance of the hands. That works, that works really well. I like the other way where I put my feet against the wall, lean my head forward regardless it's the same it's or, exactly or, the same two although i'm right simon <laughs> <laughs> two different ways to measure the same thing the concept's the same it's objective so as long as if you're consistently choosing one way of tracking you're going to be fine just don't do my method one week simon's the next exactly e exactly right. yeah just keep it just pick a method keep it objective what you're measuring is the intensity of that exercise the issue with just doing um tuck planche straddle planche full planche or using any of those progressions is that there can be quite a gap between the levels. So you might be able to, I'm, I'm sure some people listening have experienced this. You can hold a tuck planche for 30 seconds, no problem. Can't hold an advanced tuck, you know, two, three seconds. And then it's like, what intensity do I train at? Do I train at the tuck for 30 seconds or do I try advanced tuck holds for two to three seconds? Neither of those are really optimal. And there's quite a big jump in intensity between those. So the analogy with weightlifting, 
is you're doing bench press, you only have 20 kilo plates. So you've only got the option of, you know, you're, you're benching 60 kilos. Your next option is to bump that up to 100 kilos. Throw 20. That's a good example. Yeah. I like that. Um, and there are ways to get around this. You can use bands for assistance. You can use ankle weights. But there's some, there's some challenges there. And just to go back to the initial answer, you don't have to pick one or the other. So I would say the best option is probably to do your tuck planche holds, your straddle planche holds, working at whatever intensity you can, and then supplement that with some extra volume of planche leans. So you look at a bodybuilder training chest in the gym. They don't go in and they don't argue about... Should I do bench press or should I do flies? Oh, I'm sure they do argue, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it's, um, it's not you, you can only do bench press or you can only do flies. Yeah. You, can, you can do both. So a general rule is exercise order should reflect your goals. The most important exercises should be done early in the session when you're fresh. So do, your, do the ones that best mimic the goal when you're fresh. So that might be your straddle planche holds. Do your straddle planche holds and then you might supplement that with some... Um, some planche leans at whatever intensity is appropriate for you then you might notice that you have some issues with your core or maintaining that posterior pelvic tilt in the straddle position you might do some reverse hypers to add in add in some um, some directed work to building that core strength and motor control perfect which goes into my next question i want to ask you about with um doing planche progressions versus bands so based on what you just discussed seems like you like to combine both yep. um would you say that bands are better used at the start of a session or towards the end how and why would you use uh, bands for people training planche yeah so i like to use <laughs> bands are something that often get used because they seem technical and um, they're a bit of fun but Bands aren't essential. I think they're a great tool to use to help you bridge the gap between levels. So you can absolutely achieve a planche without bands. But if we go back to our, our issue or our analogy of only having 20 kilogram plates for the bench press, you can hold the tuck planche for, for 30 seconds. You can't hold the, the advanced tuck at all. How do I bridge that gap? Well, one really good way to bridge that gap is to move to the advanced tuck with assistance from a band. That gives you an ob objective amount of assistance every time. It's much better than you or myself spotting that person. And you build capacity with a band. You use thinner bands as you get stronger until you can hold the advanced tuck unassisted. And then you might do the same, use the same approach to move to straddle and to full. So I think bands are a really good way to bridge the gap between levels. They can be a lot of fun as well. So if you're bored training, training the straddle planche, I just want to feel the full planche, you can throw a band on that can give you some extra motivation help you approach your training with an increased intensity some more drive which can be really useful for strength gains um, but like i said absolutely not essential really good way to help you bridge the gap between levels perfect i really like that so it seems like for those listening it's the the band can be used as a finisher essentially after you've done your unassisted progression training or you can use it to bridge the gap between an exercise that you can't hold with or a progression that you can't hold with enough volume as as you'd usually recommend yeah. it, right? So so a great um great example of this um is to do so let's say you're you're really trying to bridge the gap to the advanced tuck. I can't hold the advanced tuck, I want to bridge that gap. One option you might come in, do your warm-up when you're fresh, you do some advanced tuck holds for say 10 to 15 seconds with assistance from a band. You might do four sets of that. Then you do the rest of your workout. You might do some planche push-up exercises, some pseudo planche leans, some planche raises, whatever it is you want to do. And then you might finish off just to add a little bit of volume for your isometric holds, just with some tuck planche holds to failure at the end of your session. 
Perfect. Which is a good segue into what I want to talk about next, which is concerning uh, planche push-ups. So people will see you doing your planche stuff and most of the time they're really impressed by the the pushing stuff. So you're doing dynamic reps and you're adding the hold at the top. It just it just looks awesome. How would someone go about starting to train for planche push-ups? Is there any base that you recommend to start with? Um, yeah, so here's a... <laughs> Here's a secret for everybody. <laughs> um, planche push-ups aren't necessarily harder than a planche hold. So, yeah, oh, no, so, no. so you might see um, you might see somebody who can do planche push-ups at a certain level who can't hold a planche at that level. So you might be able to do five planche push-ups in a straddle, but you can't actually hold the top position of a straddle planche. And the reason for that is generally you're stronger at the bottom of a planche than you are at the top of a planche. Um, and you'll see exercises that... Um, that target this so you'll see things like the mechanical advantage planche push-up also known as the accommodating resistance planche push-up where you extend the lever as you move to the bottom and you move um, you bring the lever closer as you move to the top so you might start at at the top in a tuck move to the straddle at the bottom and move back to the tuck at the top so that matches the strength curve difficulty of the exercise yeah range yeah so this is analogous to people who throw chains on a barbell squat Um, so naturally people and this doesn't apply to absolutely everybody. So you, you might see some people who can hold a, a planche but can't do a planche push-up. Um, there's a large degree of variation between individuals. Um, specific training will give specific results as well. So if you've just trained isometric holds at the top, you're probably not as good at planche push-ups as you could be. And if yep. the person just trains you know, bent arm strength, they'll be much better at, at the bottom of a planche than, than at the top. Is that your go-to option for planche push-up training, mechanical advantage? Do you, do you prefer that over just traditional reps? Yeah, I really like that. I'll, I'll explain why now. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, so as I said, the planche push-up can be achieved before you can hold the planche at a certain level. So you might be able to just hold a full planche, but you can do five full planche push-ups. The reason for that is if you're really good at a bent-arm planche, so you can hold the bent-arm planche for 10, 20 seconds, but you can't hold the straight-arm planche, you might be able to generate enough force from the bottom to push to the top of a planche, even though you can't hold it, and control the descent back down. Uh, so you're like kind of skipping through that that trainable range in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like jumping. <laughs> you can't. You know. You can get off the ground, but you can't levitate. <laughs> so uh, it might be the same. Maybe thing. you can, son. Next Instagram <laughs> video. <laughs> so it's it's the same thing with the um the planche push up. Um. So mechanical advantage planche push-ups are really good because they'll optimize the intensity as you as you lower so you might be able to hold a um, bent arm planche in a full position but um, not hold a, a full planche at the top and what you can do is you can do mechanical advantage planche push-ups to ensure that it's challenging at the bottom of the movement um, to optimize strength gains there so Let's take the example of somebody who can hold a tuck planche at the top, can hold a straddle planche at the bottom, but can't do straddle planche push-ups. I would argue that doing mechanical advantage planche push-ups are going to help them progress to the planche push-up faster than just doing tuck planche push-ups. And the reason is it's going to increase the intensity at the bottom. They're going to build more strength there. They're going to get familiar with that straddle position at the bottom, and they might be able to build more strength through this method to push to the top of a straddle planche and lower back down. That advice is absolute gold because if people have been paying attention, people would be using the mechanical advantage planche push-ups to work on that weakness 
but also separately working on the isometric holds to target that other particular weakness. So exactly. that'd be holistic. Exactly. Yeah. So controversial segue, what are your thoughts on banded planche push-ups? Because people will either love or hate, I guess, this approach. Yeah. I think banded planche push-ups are a great exercise. Um, so as I said, my favorite exercise would be the mechanical advantage planche push-up. I also just like free planche push-ups, so tuck, straddle, full. Um, but band-assisted planche push-ups are great. They will build strength. So the issue a lot of people have with band-assisted planche push-ups is they provide the most assistance at the bottom where you're generally strongest and they provide the least assistance at the top where you're generally weakest. However, you can still build technique. You can refine your alignment in your planche push-ups. You can build strength throughout range, so you can build strength at the top. Or you can just use a thin enough band that allows you to just get to the top and fall back down, and it will still be challenging at the bottom yep. and build strength there. So band-assisted planche push-ups can absolutely be used to build strength. Going back to that principle of specificity, I would rather use your free, um, your standard you know, tuck planche push-ups, your mechanical advantage planche push-ups, and use your band-assisted planche push-ups to supplement your training. But yes, very useful exercise. I like that you're really highlighting the importance of the technical component because I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's strength in my shoulder flexor muscles and this and that. But speaking to you now, it really seems there's that importance of technique and using certain strategies like mechanical advantage, band-assisted stuff allows you to really refine technique. Yeah. That's very valuable for people. Just to throw it back to the band question, um, another thing about planche is it's really frustrating. It's a skill that takes a really long time to achieve. Progress is quite slow. It's very easy to lose motivation. And that can be a reason to include a suboptimal exercise if you find it fun and motivating and it's going to allow you to approach your, your training with more intensity and drive. So an example... If I'm stuck on tuck planche push-ups and I'm just sick to death of them, I'm not making much progress, it's slow, I'm bored, it's been a year of tuck planche push-ups, I want to see some results. I might do a training block for eight weeks where I do some band-assisted straddle planche push-ups. Super fun, I've never felt planche band-assisted, I've never felt what a um, straddle planche push-up feels like. This allows me to get a feel for that exercise, become familiar with a progression that's just out of reach, might might also provide some carryover to my straddle planche holds because I'm actually training that position, improve my, my motor control and awareness, and most importantly, allow me to go to training each day with a lot of intensity and give it my all rather than going through the motions and doing tuck planche push-ups. That's with fantastic to hear, Simon, because I think on the internet these days we get caught up in what's optimal, what's effective, the fastest way to progress, the smartest way to progress. I think we're all guilty of... Um, relaying that information as as i guess coaches in this space but it's nice and refreshing to hear you say that because yeah if, if you're not enjoying what you do you're not going to put in the effort so exactly if you find this exercise more enjoyable then you're going to get better results because as we said you're going to be training at a higher intensity more consistently and that stuff's important yeah and I, I would also make the argument i'm sure you'll agree that although band assisted planche push-ups aren't a perfect exercise they're a better exercise than arguing about what's better, band-assisted planche push-ups or free planche push-ups. So just yeah. do something. <laughs> I think the fact that people are training the planche deserves enough credit because, as you said, it's a arduous journey. So people can relate. Did you have difficulties with planche? Like, when did you start training the planche for the first time and how long did it take you to get 
let's say to straddle planche yeah um planche for me wasn't it it wasn't like i set the goal of let's start training the planche i kind of had a background with some sort of planche exercises through break dancing um, but i think it it probably took me about two years to achieve the planche to achieve the full planche and um probably about six months to a year to to achieve the straddle planche so i was quite young when i started training training this and i think that's a that's an ambitious but a pretty good time frame to aim for so if you have a very good base of strength you're really good at dips pull-ups l-sits standard body weight strength um about a year for the straddle planche two to three years for the full planche is probably a good estimation i really have to highlight that because that's a question i want to ask you as well how important is that foundation level of strength just general body control general muscle mass in pulling pushing do you notice a difference with people that have a base compared to those that don't in terms of timeframes yeah. for planche? A- absolutely. So I think if you can't do pull-ups, and although pull-ups are completely unrelated to the planche, they're completely different muscles, um, opposing muscles, I've never seen somebody who can hold a planche who can't do pull-ups. <laughs> so having a general base of strength is, is really useful. Um, the more muscle mass you have in the relevant muscles is, is going to increase your potential towards the planche. However, it all comes down to specificity. So even if you can anterior dumbbell raise a great deal of weight, you're, you know, you're world-class in that. If you don't do specific planche training, you're probably not going to be able to do the planche. Is that because of um, it being free weight, open connect chain versus closed connect chain, or is it just straight up simplicity with specificity? I, I think it's just straight up simplicity with specificity. If you had to pick a few accessory exercises with weights or with bands, what would be your go-to planche ones and what would they improve? Um, I really, so let's start with weights. I really like um, dumbbell shoulder flexion. So dumbbell shoulder flexion is gonna mimic the action of a planche raise or mimic the action of an isometric planche if you were to just hold dumbbells here. I really like training through range of movement. Um, just training through, through greater range has been shown to build more muscle mass, um, which then can be transferred to your planche. So, Start with your specific planche exercises. At the end, you might throw in some anterior dumbbell raises to address the um, shoulder flexion component. I agree with that point concerning the, the shoulder raises because with weights, you actually have the luxury of um, manipulating the intensity throughout range, whereas with planche, you're, you're kind of stuck more so in a position or a progression. So I, I agree with Simon. Using the dynamic uh, front lever, or not front lever, we're talking about planche, the dynamic anterior raise is good for capturing strength through a greater joint angle range of motion yeah and building more muscle mass in yeah. the anterior deltoids and and long headed biceps which is important for the for the planche um another exercise i really like is an elbows in bench press so elbows in bench press will build strength for the planche push-up a really good way to do this is using a supinated grip a supinated grip means you can't bring the weight um, over your shoulders and kind of use your triceps more um, because your thumbs aren't strong enough. So a supinated grip kind of forces you in to this planche pattern. So do a bench press, hands shoulder width apart, supinated grip, bring the bar down to roughly your belly button or your lower sternum. Yep. Um, push back to a straight arm position. Once again, really good for building strength in the anterior deltoids. There are plenty of um, supplementary exercises that you can do. So you can do planche raises with bands. Those are really good. You can start in a... Um, pseudo planche push-ups pseudo planche leans you can start in a push-up position against a wall move your hands slightly closer slide your legs down the wall this is essentially a handstand to planche negative without the balance component 
Nice. Yeah, because to create friction, you need to flex your shoulders to push your feet into the wall. Yep, yep. Um, but as a, as a general rule, anything that mimics the, the motor pattern of the planche or anything that will build strength and muscle mass in the relevant muscles of the planche can be useful to improve your planche. Would you use anything to isolate the scapula specifically with bands? Yeah. Uh, or anything else, what would you recommend? Yeah, so so just to go back, to get the most out of your planche, you want to do your specific planche training, and then you want to address the weaknesses that are relevant to you. So if scapular protraction is an issue, and if maintaining a posterior pelvic tilt is an issue as you extend your hips, you might do your specific planche training and finish your session with some accessory work of reverse hypers to address the posterior pelvic tilt and some scapular push-ups to address the scapular protraction component. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so so talking about addressing the scapular protraction component, I think a few things are really useful. I think, I think um, one thing that is understated is just having the intention of scapular protraction in your training. So you might throw in some band-assisted holds that allow you to hold perfect protraction. That way you're training that, that position. Um, and then accessory work that you can do at the end of your session, things like scapular push-ups. You can do those on two hands for beginners. You can do them on one hand for more advanced athletes. You can wrap a band around your back to increase the intensity or use a weight vest. Awesome. I think you've um, covered pretty much everything planche concerning technique and progressions. I'd like to finish up with some specifics regarding training design because I think now if people were to be listening to you, they'd have a good understanding, but it's still a bit of complexity with how many sets, reps, etc., etc. So let's just start with how many times a week from your experience is a good place for people to start with planche training in terms of frequency? Yeah, many. there are many ways to, um, to program. So um, rather than getting into the specifics of it, a simple answer, two to three days a week is a, is a good starting point. As long as you're making progress, you can keep that, your same training design. Perfect. I just want to add a little bit of uh, advice onto Simon's. If you are making progress two to three times a week and that's working, just keep doing it. I think people get a bit excited when they start seeing progress. They'll be like, oh, if two to three days a week's working, why not do seven? Yeah. And you'll, the problem with this is you'll always be chasing the ghost of optimal and you will never know when you hit optimal. Wow. That's quotable. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, awesome. that's, that's from Greg Knuckles. That's not, that's not oh, my, the, good the, on you, the ghost of optimal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you, yeah, you'll never know when you hit optimal. So be, appreciate progress, ride the wave of progress until you plateau. And then you can worry about changing your program design. Four to five exercises, three to four sets per exercise is a good starting point. So you come in, you do your planche holds first. You might do four sets of 15 second planche holds. You might do those at a tuck, a straddle, full intensity, whatever it is for you. After that, you do some planche push-ups. So you might do some pseudo planche push-ups. You might do some standard planche push-ups. You might do four sets of five. After that, um, you might do some pseudo planche push-ups if you did the normal planche push-ups on the previous exercise. And then you might finish off with some supplementary work, some scapular push-ups and reverse hypers. Cool. Yeah. Um, regarding what is the optimal hold duration, I think it is. Um, it really depends on the level of the the athlete. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to strength training or improving strength, there are many components that go into how strong someone is. So it's not that everybody is built equal, and it's just the person who trains hardest that will be the strongest. There are things that are out of your control that you can't change. So things like how far your tendon insertion of a muscle 
is from the joint will influence how much torque that produces at the joint. Your limb segment length, your height, obviously taller people are gonna have a harder time doing the planche than shorter people. But the two things that you can really change through training are how much muscle mass you have in the relevant muscles and your neuromuscular efficiency, how well you can contract the relevant muscles and inhibit the, the irrelevant muscles. So when it comes to strength training, I really like to do some specific high intensity work to help optimize that along with some, um, some volume to help optimize the muscle mass. So for an advanced athlete, if you're always doing 15 second holds, you're not really addressing that high intensity specific component. So performing 15 second holds aren't gonna optimize your five second holds. And that might be what you wanna perform. You wanna hold your best five second planche. So a really good thing to do, a really good way, as we said before, many ways to approach this with periodization, but a good year round training program is to do a hypertrophy based kind of training program and then throw in some high intensity specific attempts to help address that neuromuscular component of the planche. So what this might look like is once or twice a week on the days you feel fresh, you come in, you do your max five second planche hold or your max three second planche hold, stop a couple of seconds shy of failure, just a high intensity planche hold. And what that's gonna do is target that neuromuscular component and it's not gonna fatigue you for the rest of your workout where you're gonna get that volume in to build muscle mass in the relevant muscles. So, uh, so just to provide some straightforward answers, um, what I really like to do once or twice a week on the days you feel fresh, couple of attempts of your max five second hold. And then for your training sets, you might perform four to five, three to five sets, three to four sets of about 10 to 20 second holds. I think that's a really good range to accumulate volume, get practice in, um, and, and stimulate some hypertrophy in the relevant muscles. I like your comprehensive approach because you're highlighting the importance of the planche being about both the muscle mass that you do have and how that feeds into the, the strength or the neural component. And it's great that you've mentioned that because as you get more advanced, as you said at the start, it takes a long time to see progress. And if people are just focusing on one element, just the strength, then they're not going to have, I guess, the muscle size to be able to produce that force. Yeah. But then if they're just trying to build muscle, then they're not going to be teaching that muscle how to be strong specifically for the planche technique, skill, and all that stuff. Yeah. So do you, do you combine both? Uh, you might have mentioned this just before. Do you think it's better to spend a block focusing on the muscle and then teaching muscle with strength or do you like to do both I, I don't think it's better i think it it's great it certainly works a lot of yeah. people will periodize in that manner you might do a strength block and a hypertrophy block or hypertrophy block then a strength block so try and build a bunch of muscle mass and then apply that muscle mass to the specific skill or the specific intensity you're trying to perform at i really like the year-round approach where you don't have to worry about manipulating things keep it simple yep um which is the approach I spoke about earlier, throwing in some high intensity attempts throughout the week. Many ways to periodize. You can have you know, hypertrophy days where you do sort of more volume, um, higher rep ranges, and then you might have strength days where you address that intensity component. But, but all these methods are effective and it's about what works for you. To come back to your point about muscle mass and neuromuscular efficiency, this is often why people hit plateaus. So let's say you train at a very high intensity, you really practice your high intensity holds, your muscles are very efficient at the planche motor pattern. That's great, 
but you will likely you might hit a plateau and that's probably because you've hit a ceiling um, in how good your neuromuscular efficiency is and you've only got so much muscle mass if you stack on some more muscles in those relevant muscles your potential goes up so um, so even for advanced athletes hypertrophy is very important it's not once again i feel like a lot of people like to compare it is hypertrophy important or is it neuromuscular efficiency like it's just one they're both um they're both very important why this is an interesting question is because people would argue that calisthenics based movements are very relative strength dominant how strong you are at moving your own body well simon if i build all this muscle and i get super jacked isn't the plan going to be harder people are thinking it, it, yeah if it's in the relevant muscles no it will be it will so be if easier. i just do <laughs> if i just spend time in the squat rack it's not going to help me too much yeah yes yeah squat rack probably won't help you but anterior yeah. deltoid uh raises probably will so that that goes back to that having more muscle mass will um allow people to achieve the planche easier because they've got if they have muscle mass in the relevant muscles they can learn to recruit that muscle mass towards the goal of the planche and they'll have an easier time than the person who has to build more muscle mass gotcha gotcha and um, concerning the training program, what are your thoughts on having a strict program versus some flexibility with uh, auto-regulation of training? What are your thoughts on that? I like to have some auto-regulation, but I think if you have absolutely no structure in your programming, it's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to get better. So I think having, having a set um, program can be very useful. And obviously different people value <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, value um, structure more than others. But having a set program is very useful. You might allow some flexibility in that. One, um, one huge time I definitely recommend um, straying from your program is if something doesn't feel right. If you're getting some pain, don't train through pain. Uh, modify the, the program to make it pain-free or rest until that's sorted. What are the common injuries that you do see with planche and the common mistakes? I think the most common injury you'll see um, is the wrist. So if your fingers are facing forward, you're gonna be jamming up your wrists. Even if you turn your hands out, still pretty stressful on the wrists. So you can see some, some wrist injuries, ganglions, wrist, wrist sprains. Um, one really good way to, um, to reduce the pressure on your wrist with planche exercises is to decline parallettes. So what I mean by that is elevate one end of the parallette so it will be angled down. And then as you lean forward, your wrist stays in a neutral position despite you leaning. So Ah, that, I see. That, yes. can, that can um, save a lot of wrist injuries. Another injury I often see is bicep tendon um, tender, tendinopathy. So planche is pretty stressful on the bicep tendons. If you're not accustomed to that, if you don't progress gradually um, and you exceed your capacity to recover, you'll often run into an injury there. So another thing to be careful of. So that uh, position of the parallettes, would that be comparable to say like squatting with uh, Olympic shoes? So it's like Absolutely, yeah. that false sense of wrist extension. Yeah, so some people squat with Olympic shoes or more commonly you'll see people go in the gym, they might just put a couple of weight plates under their, yep. under their heels yep. and that's gonna reduce the range of ankle dorsiflexion that they have to go into. Um, and it's the same thing with declining parallettes. Perfect. Um, last question I've got for you, Simon. If you had to give advice to yourself when you were first starting calisthenics or your planche journey at large what would you say is the most important thing that people could leave with from your perspective consistency <laughs> i think um consistency is very important especially as a beginner when you're trying to chase every skill i want the front lever the planche the one up pull up the handstand push up the 90 degree push up 
um, it's <laughs> you can spend a little bit of time training this, a little bit of time training that. That doesn't give your body the best conditions to adapt and to get stronger with a particular set of exercises. So stay consistent. I like to, to stick with exercises for a certain period of time, so say eight weeks or so, to allow the body to, to progress and allow you to overload with those exercises, give the body a chance to adapt. As long as you're progressing, you can keep that program, do that indefinitely, ride the wave. If you stop progressing, if you lose motivation, your goals change, then you can change up your program. But I think keep it simple, focus on a few things at a time, um, and stay consistent. Um, the planche is very important for that. So if you, if you, want to, if you really want to achieve the planche, um, you might have to put other things um, aside for a little while. So you, know, you might have to put your handstand push-ups aside for a little while, your 90 degree push-ups, other pushing goals to really hone in on planche-related exercises. With that being said, um, these will all complement each other. So the better you get at planche, it's, it doesn't mean that you're gonna take steps back in your handstand push-up. It might not be as crisp as if you had a trained handstand push-up during that time, but a planche push-up and a handstand push-up work the same exercises through a different range of motion. You'll still build strength on those exercises that will be very transferable, still build strength in those muscles from planche exercises that will be very, very transferable to your handstand push-up exercises when you come back to that that skill that's refreshing advice for people to hear because i imagine a lot of people do everything at once because they're scared of losing a skill losing strength losing progress but listen to the expert listen to simon you're not going to regress too much you've still got the muscle mass you're still building strength in that relatively similar pushing pattern and it'll just be a matter of refining technique and skill exactly and if you really do want to maintain something while you address another skill you could just throw in a couple of attempts, um, you know, a couple of times a week. So let's say you really want to keep your hands, handstand push-up while you address the planche and improve with your planche. Rather than training handstand push-up exercises, you might just come in and do, a, and do you know, a few sets of handstand push-ups once a week. Yep. That might be enough to maintain. It's much easier to maintain a skill than it is to achieve a skill. Perfect. Awesome, man. I think we better wrap up there. I know we could talk about planche for another hour or so. Yeah, talk to your ears off. That's all good. I'm sure people... Really enjoyed this conversation, but if they want to learn more about you, Simon, they're probably all following you. Maybe 90% of people listening are, but for the 10% that aren't, where can they find out more about what you do? So most social media channels, it's SimonsterStrength. Um, you can go to SimonsterStrength.com as well. Perfect, man. All right. Well, everyone watching and listening will be doing some future collabs in this space. So we've got to get you christening the studio with some epic plant stuff. Yeah. Cool. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Visit fitnessfaqs.com to master calisthenics and become a bodyweight pro.